Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You gotta understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. What are you getting so crazy about? It's just music. You might say that in New Orleans, musicians are a dime a dozen, but Trombone Shorty really stands out. I'm Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis of WBEZ and Columbia College. This jazz, funk, and hip-hop virtuoso joins us with his band live in the studio. And later, we look at Brian Wilson's Smile Sessions. That's coming up on Sound Opinions. From WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX, you're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. Te da durmiente, pena non te fa più campare. Per l'amore, l'amore in aguaglione, che chiano, chiano, chiano l'ha fatta innamorare. Quando ancora non sta sentia nessuno, per tu io che chiara, non te fa più dormire. Greg, those dulcet sounds are from the Neapolitan guitarist and singer Mariano Apicella. Uh, it's an album called True Love. That's not why we're interested. What is curious is that the 11 songs on this just-released album are all co-written by one Silvio Berlusconi, who was the longest-running prime minister of Italy post-war until just recently when he was ousted amidst a financial scandal and, of course, all those sex troubles that had piled up for years <laughs> behind. What a character this guy was. I didn't realize that before he entered politics, he had been a uh, musical performer on a cruise ship, <laughs> and he never lost this passion. He has written these songs with Apicella, and they've put out this record. They're all love songs, uh, which is ironic from the man infamous for his bunga bunga parties, right? And it's really kind of sappy, saccharine, love song, easy listening music, all of it, curiously enough, with a Spanish flair as opposed to really being very Italian. But Berlusconi Berlusconi is not the only politician with a musical connection. He's going one way. He's going back into music after politics. Meanwhile, in Senegal, the most famous artist that that country has produced, world music superstar Yusu Endur, is leaving music and going into politics. Yeah, 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 yeah
made an announcement that he is canceling all of his concert commitments from January 2nd onward, leaving the musical forum and, quote, freeing myself from all artistic engagements to enter the political arena. Now, Endure is not saying which office he is running for, but his countrymen have been urging him to run for the presidency. For two terms, President Wade has run Senegal. It is not a country in particularly good shape. The average income per head there is a mere $3 a day. But it is known for its democratic, peaceful regime changes. Wade is angling to change the Constitution so that he can run for a third term. A lot of people oppose this, and it looks as if Endure is gearing up either to run for president or to run for some high office and be part of a new administration. Let me get this straight. Berlusconi is going into music, and Endure is leaving music. I think music loses on both those equations. He's a fan figure of a man in handsome tears. That is Elvis Costello with a song, I Hope You're Happy Now, that leads off a new box set, The Return of the Spectacular Spinning Songbook, based on a recent tour in which he had this elaborate spinning wheel, and he would choose a song based on whatever point the wheel fell on. It was reprising a tour that he did back in the 80s. Now, Elvis is taking a unique marketing tack to this upcoming release. He's telling his fans not to buy it. This recalls Trent Reznor, whose uh, marketing strategy has been uh, rather strange in, in recent years. He took the stage in Australia a few years ago, advising his fans to steal one of his records because it was overpriced. And then last year, he tweeted about another re-release, saying his fans should ignore it and not buy it. Now Elvis is chiming in, saying this current box set is way overpriced. The record company wants over $200 for it. Elvis says that's either a misprint or a satire. Elvis takes it a step further, though. He says, not only don't buy my record, but instead spend your money where it'll be a lot more worthwhile. He is saying that his fans should go out and buy the Louis Armstrong Ambassador of Jazz box set. He called the Armstrong set vastly superior. And he noted it was also cheaper, Craig, underscoring Sound Opinion's mantra that everyone is a critic. This is Sound Opinions, and that's The Craziest Things by musician Trombone Shorty. We're going to go to our session with him in just a minute, but there's a lot to say about this young New Orleans horn player first. 
He's only 25 years old, trombone shorty, otherwise known as Troy Andrews, who's been playing music for two decades. That's remarkable, professionally for nearly as long. He's recorded about a half dozen albums in that time. He's toured the world, and he's collaborated with a bunch of New Orleans legends, including people like the Nevilles and the Rebirth Brass Band, as well as Green Day, Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton. Somehow, amid all this, Troy Andrews has also found time to play himself in a recurring role on that hit HBO show, Treme, which takes place in his neighborhood in New Orleans' Sixth Ward. So there was a lot to talk about when he and his band Orleans Avenue came by the studio. Plus, we were pretty psyched about the fact that they were going to play some tunes from this new trombone shorty album, For True, which is a blend of jazz, funk, and soul with rock and hip-hop. So let's go now to the studio. So it's a, a birthright. If you're born in New Orleans, you have to play music, right? Is that, is that pretty so. much the deal? It's <laughs> yeah. the rule? That's the rule. I think if you don't play music, then you're outcast. We look at you strange, but, you know, it's one of those things. Even by those standards, though, the way you came to play music is a great story. Yeah. Surrounded by it, right? Your family just was immersed in it? Yep. My grandfather was Jesse Hill. He uh, did some music back in the late 60s with uh, Alan Toussaint, Dr. John, and all those people. He wrote a f- couple of songs for uh, Ike and Tina, Sonny and Cher. And he kind of passed down those type of things down to my brother, James Andrews, who's the one that's responsible for me playing. From there, my brother just had me by his side like uh, Batman and Robin. So everywhere he was, <laughs> that's where I went. So at age seven, I was touring the world with him and still doing it today. So I owe all the credit to that guy. Touring the world. Explain that. I mean, what does that mean? Every summer I will be in Europe with him for the entire summer. And then on weekends in New Orleans, I'll play some shows with him. Uh, if we had some school breaks, he'll take me out. I was in Saudi Arabia, Haiti, Cuba. I mean, everywhere you can possibly think of. He had me right along his side, and um, we just was playing all type of shows. So I was able to get the real experience at a young age. Playing trombone on stage. And, yeah, on stage. At seven years old. Yeah. Wow. I started so, playing when I was four, but I was playing some gigs by the time I was seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the story goes that at four or five, right, you were passed up over the uh, upstretched arms of the crowd to wind up on stage next to Bo Diddley, who says, blow that horn, boy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember it, but uh, they crowd surfed me to the stage. Um, <laughs> my mom was running behind me. Cause she didn't know where I would go. <laughs> Where's he going? Yeah, that's what happened. And, you know, it's a world-famous picture and things. I can only remember a little bit of it, but crowd surfing at a young age. Before we get away from your brother, such a measure of success over the last couple of years. Television and the albums, the shows are packed everywhere you go. What does your brother think now? Uh, he's very proud and happy because this is what he wanted me to do. You know, mm. he set me up at a young age to keep it going and uh, and hopefully take it further than... You know, what he what he took it, and just exactly what I'm doing is what he hoped for. So, so he demanded a cut? No, no. no. <laughs> well, maybe sometime. Maybe sometime. He gets that bag later in other yeah. ways, right? What about the trombone? I mean, it must have been a little unwieldy for a four-year-old kid to be playing a trombone. As opposed, there, there are other instruments you could have gravitated toward. Well, uh, in my household, my brother was a trumpeter. My other brothers played the drums. We had some people play the tuba. So we had a whole brass band in the house, and I think... The trombone was one of the instruments that they didn't really have, so we didn't want to double up in instruments, I guess. So they kind of put me towards that. And I think it was only one of the only other instruments that actually worked that they wasn't playing. (laughs) So, you know, he kind of gave it to me because he was a trumpet player. So I kind of took it from there and just followed his lead. And as big as it is, Greg, you have to admit it's easier than the tuba. (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, it was very hard for me to play at a young age because I can I have very short arms, so I can only do three positions, <laughs> and uh, it was kind of heavy at a young age. That's how I got the name Trombone Shorty because the horn was I stood next to it was much taller than I was at the time. <laughs> Sometime I tilt over while I was playing it because it was a bit heavy. <laughs> That's great. Trombone Shorty, you are here with your band, Seven Piece Band. We've uh, this is one of the larger ensembles we've had on, on Sound Opinion. So, <laughs> Troy, you're on trombone, and then you've got Dan Ostreiser on baritone sax, Tim McFadder on tenor sax, Mike Ballard on bass, Pete Morano on guitar, Dwayne Williams on percussion, Joey Peebles on drums. How about a song? What, yeah. what, what are we going to hear? I think we're going to do Buck Jump off our new album uh, for True. Thank you. 
Buck Jump by Trombone Shorty on Sound Opinions from that new album, For True. Troy, that's a tune that, that you and the world-famous Mike Ballard wrote, yeah. right? It's a blessing and a curse, New Orleans' universal treasure. But I can imagine that the downside of so much musical history is, how am I ever going to write a song <laughs> like competes? You know, the meters came from here, right? You ever feel dwarfed by that? Well, I mean, you know, um, I just play off it. You know, I just listen to a lot of stuff, see what I can borrow from some of the greats like the Meters and uh, Dr. John and Alan Toussaint and Neville Brothers. But other than that, you know, I just had it makes it challenging because you you are in a city where you have great musicians and national treasure and different things. So it just inspires me to want to try to write something that can be a part of the New Orleans standards like like the rest of those guys are. So it just pushes me forward. Well, and at the same time, I think one of the things that Greg and I both love about this band and about your recordings and your live shows is that it seems immediate. Some musicians from New Orleans, as great as it is, you know, they're trying to replicate a past era. Yeah. And you're not. You're living in the moment. Yeah. That's what happens in a lot of instrumental music, I guess. You get people trying to relive different things. But I've played some of that music with some of the people that wrote some of the music, and I don't want to duplicate it, so I have to just play off of that and take those experiences to try to help create the next 20 years of New Orleans music so some youngsters under me in a couple of years can take what I'm doing and push the music even further. I mean, I'm 25. My band is young. We didn't grow up during those times, so the only thing we can do is respect it and learn from it and try to make our own sound the same way that the meters didn't want to sound like Fats Domino. Right. Fats Domino didn't sound like Louis Armstrong. So the music has always been moving forward. It's just that we get a group of people that that try to relive that moment, and that's where the music gets stuck. Yo! 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 Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I want to tell you about Oop-Oop-A-Doo. We'll be back with more Trombone Shorty and his band Orleans Avenue after a short break on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Then later in the show, Greg and I will review the new Smile box set from Beach Boys legend Brian Wilson.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. You've been listening to our conversation with Troy Andrews, otherwise known to music fans as Trombone Shorty. Now, Troy was born and bred in the New Orleans music scene and studied at the famed New Orleans Center for Creative Arts. You can hear the city's influence in tracks like this one, On Your Way Down, from Trombone Shorty's 2010 release, Back of Town. But while New Orleans is this hotbed of music and creativity, as we all know, there also exists many jazz purists in that area, particularly Wynton Marsalis. He's famously rigid about what jazz is and what it can be. Our guest, on the other hand, seems exactly the opposite. His tradition's steeped in jazz, but he loves blurring the genre lines. So during our conversation, I asked Troy Andrews about this concept of musical rules. Have you ever had any conversations with, with Mr. Marcellus about his feelings about, you know, what is and what isn't jazz and what can fit under it in this New Orleans scene? No, I mean, you know, he said some things, but uh, we do what we do. He does what he does. He's obviously one of the masters of the music, but growing up with the Neville brothers, growing up with my brother James, or growing up around my grandfather, Alan Toussaint, as a young kid, I heard all those sounds like a musical gumbo. So to me, it don't matter what, what we call it. It's just music to me. I mean, but hey, just because I play a trombone doesn't mean that I have to play jazz. I do improvise a lot. Just like if if I was playing a, a guitar in a rock band and I was hired to play some solos, but I think sometimes when people see the horn in front of this band, they think it's jazz. To me, music is just music, you know. I think genres help sell records and give people a chance to really touch it and just say, um, well, we listen to rock music, we listen to whatever it is, but to, in my ears, it's all just music, one community, and I'm just a student of it, and I, I go through all of it. You know, Wynton says jazz is whatever he thinks it is, but jazz, to me, is a place that you are able to be free and express yourself, so I'm mm. expressing myself this way. There was a name that was sort of thrown around on, on your last record, I believe, the Super Funk Rock. Yeah. And you, people may not realize you're only 25 years old, but I think you've got like nine records in your pocket already in terms of stuff that you you played on. I can't even remember some of them, but uh, yeah, I think we got three records with this band, but I probably play on 15, 16 records. I don't know, maybe more than that. Well, where did you sort of arrive at that sound? I mean, where do you feel like you know, you're starting to develop your own voice on the instrument and in terms of your songwriting? Well, we've been trying to get to this level, and we still have a lot more to go to get to where we want to be which I don't think we'll ever get there but we'll get better in the process of trying to get there you know so I got a chance to go on tour with Lenny Kravitz for a few years and he's one of my idols and good friends and I was able to get that schooling every day and take that and bring it back to what I was doing in New Orleans it's just been a long time and it just happened naturally the more that we want to learn about more music the more we want to play different styles what did you learn from Kravitz because you were playing pretty big arenas I would imagine yeah. at that point before I went on tour with him, my band and I, just like a bunch of people in New Orleans, we'll learn the music and we'll do our interpretation of it every night. And uh, it would never sound the same because of the improvisation, the collective plan that we do there. But going with him allowed me to get disciplined to play the music just like the record. 
We still have the instinct of improvisation on top of it, but we know where we are at all times, and we can bring in tight. So I have different hand signals to where the band knows to go back to the top, go to the A section, go to the B section. Learning from him, just watching him control the arena every night really inspired me. So whenever I hit the stage, no matter if we play in front of 20 people, 20,000 people, I always play like I'm in the arena. Mm. And, uh, you know, of course, he's influenced my singing a lot. It's just a wonderful thing. I talk to him every other day. He'll check up on me, and we'll talk and chat. Mm, That's cool. He'll call me and say, okay, I heard you do this, but you need to try it like this. Mm -hmm. So it's good to have a mentor like that. And, of course, he's got that fashion sense. Yeah. Nobody dresses like Lenny Kravitz. (laughs) We'll let him keep that one. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and we are in the studio with Trombone Shorty, led by Troy Andrews. You're going to give us another song, right? Yeah. What are you going to play? We're going to do another instrumental. We're going to do Domain Street. Domain Street. That's a street that I grew up on in New Orleans, in New Orleans, in the Tremay neighborhood. Well, myself and Big D on the Congress, we lived across the street from each other as children. And this is where we got all our music and schooling and playing on the streets of New Orleans, right on that street. So we're going to pay tribute to that with Domain Street off of a true. That's Dumain Street from Trombone Shorty on Sound Opinions. Judging from that song alone, I would say there was a heck of a lot of different kinds of music on Dumain Street. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I um, was inspired by the street sounds of New Orleans, some heavy rock, and uh, some hip-hop patterns on the drums underneath that. Explain to us, us laymen here, non-New Orleans, because we did a special on funk uh, mm-hmm. a few months ago, and we got some flack because, hey, you didn't, you didn't mention the meters. 
to my mind, obviously a funk capital, New Orleans, but it's got its own sound. It's got its own approach to funk. That whole second line marching rhythm mm-hmm. that keeps getting talked about with New Orleans music, and I've read and I've talked to different musicians about it, they all have little different interpretation of what exactly it means. What did it mean to you growing up? Oh, uh, the second line rhythm to me, well, that's what I grew up into my house, but it was played on a bass drum, snare drum, tuba, and a bunch of different instruments. It's influenced with the, the Latin rhythms, with the New Orleans street beat. It's, uh, it's feel-good music, and the second line music and, the, and the, uh, the drum patterns and the rhythm to it will definitely get everybody moving. And that's how you know that it's the real second line thing, no matter where you're from. common story you hear is that it's the mourners are, are marching in the funeral and then the second line rhythm is the drummers who mm-hmm. are kind of picking everybody up okay the, the morning's over and we're, we're now gonna you know we're gonna celebrate this yeah. this, this person you know Definitely. with these marching rhythms but i'm wondering if you guys could do just your take on that second line rhythm uh, i don't know we'll we'll make something up right now the drummer has a is a big challenge to a drummer because uh even if you're not from New Orleans and you hear some drummer trying to play the second line thing, you'll know that is wrong or it don't feel right. So that's why I say you have to be there. Well, let's see what we'll do. Uh, you want to kick something off then? Go into your little second line groove, Joey. Trombone Shorty making something up. The name <laughs> came to me in, in, in honor of uh, Domain Street Dwayne over there in the cowbell. I think we call that Sound Opinions Cowbell Jam. Absolutely, it's, it's always good. Always great to see Jim Derogatis get up and dance too. It's amazing. Well, we People just on had radio cowbell can see that. on this show. You know, more cowbell. <laughs> All right, classic second line rhythm. So, so you mentioned Treme earlier, the neighborhood where you guys grew up, you and Dwayne at least. So they're turning you into an actor. Uh, you're getting to be on Treme on HBO. Several, <laughs> what is it, four or five times now already? Yeah. Oh, John Ball Shorty. Yeah, it's my man. man. 
Hey, bro, you think the hall ever coming back? Man, I don't know. Thanks for that second line, bro. Not a problem, man. Hey, listen, you ever need me to fill in for you? My first call. It's very exciting, you know. It's uh, to be there, to be myself, to represent the city of New Orleans, and millions of people watch it. I'm just happy to be a part of it. If you're going to make a show or anything on it, you better have it right, or we might run you out of town. <laughs> it seems like they are getting that right, just that it yeah. permeates everything. Well, they spend a lot of time, you know, David Simon, he's good friends of ours, and he hangs out on the music scene with us, check it out. It's really, really weird to be able to be at home or wherever we are and watch it on TV and then go out and see Kermit Ruffins playing in the same place that we just seen him playing on TV. So, yeah. you know, it's real, and it's, uh, it's very authentic in a way, I think. You know, after our homeboy, Kanye West's infamous comment about President Bush and in the wake of Katrina, it seems like the speeches, the monologues, Simon gave John Goodman's character. Mm-hmm. In that we're just saying things that needed to be said. Do you guys carry that kind of anger? And, and, and how, how's New Orleans coming back? Well, I don't carry any anger. You know, we are, New Orleans is coming back very strong. What happened, happened. We all were affected by it. We lost some family members. We lost some... Uh, a bunch of houses, studio, a bunch of things. But, you know, I don't like to reminisce on that type of thing. It was just a terrible time. And we just try to move forward and do what we can to make the city better. There was a number of musicians that I know who evacuated the city during Katrina and never came back. Yeah. A, did you evacuate? And uh, what were your thoughts about continuing to live there? Well, I I was actually on tour with Lenny Kravitz, and I went home for uh, two weeks. And during the two weeks, that's when the storm occurred. But I had to get back on tour, so I, I was able to get my family out to Dallas because that was the only place that we could c- continue to drive and that had available hotel rooms. So as I, as it was getting close to me to go back on tour, I had to tell them, look, we got to stay here for a while. I got to go finish working. As soon as I was finishing, we were able to go back. I was on the first thing smoking because I had a, a responsibility to not let the music of the city die, and I wanted to be a part of it and keep it alive and have people to come back, even if it's just for the music. It means everything to me. It means the world to me. The musicians that I'm able to write with or hang with, Neville Brothers, Marcellus family, whoever, I mean, there's not no other place in the in the world that you can get to be with some of those great musicians. And uh, I thought that it was my responsibility to go back and help lead it. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis. We are here with Trombone Shorty. Troy, how about another song from you guys? Yeah. Speaking of hurricanes, we'll do hurricane season. Now, I've read where you said this is one of the songs, or the song, you're proudest of having written. Yeah. What is it that stands out? Well, you can hear the brass band rhythms, the horn lines, like going in the street, people are throwing their hands up in the air, marching for four hours, and then... There's this hip-hop beat underneath it. It's one of the most exciting things that I've done, and and I think I try to capture everything that influenced me Mm. from my childhood to what's going on now musically with me. It's the gumbo that got everything right. Everything's in proportion. Mm. Okay. With a little hot sauce.
Wow. Hurricane season from Trombone Shorty. we got to mention this band. And then, by the way, that was Trombone Shorty not playing the trombone. That was on the trumpet solos there. Uh-huh. A man of many instruments. Yeah. Troy Andrews, trombone and trumpet on that particular song. Dan Ostreiser and Tim McFadder on saxophones. Mike Ballard on bass. The world-famous Mike Ballard on world bass. World-famous. Pete Morano on guitar. Dwayne Williams on percussion. Joey Peebles on drums. What a great band. We want to thank you, Trombone Shorty, for being our guest on Sound Opinions. Thank you for having me. You can watch video of Trombone Shorty performing at soundopinions.org, and you can share your own sound opinions on the air. Talk about jazz, New Orleans music, or anything on your musical mind at 888-859-1800. We'll be back on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX with a review of Brian Wilson's Smile Sessions and my Desert Island Jukebox pick. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and that is Heroes and Villains from the new box set from the Beach Boys, Smile. Now, basically, a lot of people think about Smile as a Brian Wilson solo project, kind of using the Beach Boys as an addition to what he was doing in the studio during this period in 1966-67. In the ensuing decades, Brian Wilson has talked with a great deal of pain and sorrow about this project. It nearly ruined his career in many ways. In fact, he really wasn't the same after he abandoned the Smile Project. Now, you need to understand that in 1966, Wilson was probably the most prominent composer-producer in the music business. He had eclipsed his hero, Phil Spector, and even the Beatles were looking to him and saying, we got to top this guy. I don't even know how we're going to match him, but we've got to try. And they went into the studio to record Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. They were inspired by the work that Wilson was doing at the time, taking that surf, sun, and girls formula that the Beach Boys were using for, for a few years to create all those hits and taking it somewhere new. The emotional language that he created on that epic song cycle in 1966, Pet Sounds, and then following it up with the single Good Vibrations, which blew everyone's mind with the way he was using the studio as an instrument. Now he was going to take it a step further with the Smile album. 
His collaborator on this album was the lyricist Van Dyke Parks, himself a California-based iconoclast. And together, Wilson and Parks wrote this song cycle about nothing less than the westward migration. They took it from Plymouth Rock to the surf of California. The record never actually came out, but Wilson finally came to terms with it about a decade ago. His current group re-recorded all the songs. It was released in 2004. Wilson went on tour with it afterward. Rapturous applause. Finally, Wilson realized, hey, maybe there is something of worth here. And he allowed his record company to go back in the vaults and actually re-release all that material. So now we have Smile in various configurations, two CD set, a massive box set. Is it really the masterpiece that everyone says it is? First, we're going to play a track from it. It surfs up from the Beach Boys Smile on Sound Opinions. The diamond necklace played the pawn And a handsome drum to love to a handsome man at the top A fine class aristocracy Back through the opera glass You see the pit and the pendulum That is Surf's Up by the Beach Boys, or should I say Brian Wilson, from the new Smile Sessions box set on Sound Opinions. Greg, it's interesting that the two songs we played, Heroes and Villains and Surf's Up, are by far the best songs that came from those aborted Smile Sessions, and both were released on other albums long, long ago, uh, not long after Smile was canned. We have heard the best music from Smile, and yet the myth endures that this is perhaps the greatest masterpiece album ever lost to rock history. (laughs) This genre of lost albums, for the most part, you will find, if you ever hear them, that they should have stayed lost. This is an album that detracts from the legacy of Wilson and the Beach Boys, doesn't add to it. We have doo-wop, we have barbershop crooning, we have ragtime. That was the Hendrix line. This is just a psychedelic barbershop, right? But more importantly, there is no emotional depth. Wilson was not a great lyricist. 
Pet Sounds was crafted with Tony Asher, who had been an advertising jingle writer, and yet he managed to capture a mind that was troubled, that was collapsing, a man who was torn between being in love with his wife and his wife's sister, a man who was succumbing to mental illness and drug abuse. That was the way down, and yet it is a light in the darkness. Pet Sounds is a brilliant album. He's given us one masterpiece. That's more than we can get from anybody, really. Smile is the rubble. The guy's just playing in his sandbox, making a mess, literally, and it's it's just sad. It saddens me. It saddened me when the band did it. This box set saddens me. If you're looking for historical purposes, burn it. Otherwise, it's really hard to enjoy this music. Well, I'm surprised to hear you say that, especially being such a big Sid Barrett fan. I mean, I recall you playing on this exact same show some Sid Barrett stuff that would have fit in very well on this album, that sort of whimsical, idiosyncratic type of stuff that I would think you would absolutely love. I mean, the fact that it doesn't have the emotional resonance of Pet Sounds doesn't detract from it as far as I'm concerned. To me, that the fact that he was creating this compact history of America and at the same time this elaborate music around it, I think it's a fascinating curio. It's not a masterpiece, but I think it's a very, very good record. And I think taken on its own terms, it works as a song cycle. I think it's a buy it record. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as we can, we like to get into the rowboat and paddle out to the desert island to play a song we cannot live without. And this week, it is Jim DeRogatis' turn. Well, Greg, in honor of having Trombone Shorty on the show, and because I was in a New Orleans frame of mind, I decided to go back to that incredible city for my choice this week. But also, I think there's an element of uh, the psychedelic lunacy of Smile, except it's held together on this masterful record. I'm talking about the debut by Dr. John the Night Tripper, Grigri, which, of course, is a word for voodoo. Mm. Dr. John, in 1968, seemed to have dropped to Earth from Mars. He is dressed as a Mardi Gras Indian. He is a huge hulking man with a howling wolf gruff voice. And he has got this weird musical gumbo, the likes of which nobody has ever heard. He's got African chants. He's got R&B. He's got psychedelic rock. He was working as a session musician, doing some really impressive stuff. He, he was uh, Sonny and Cher's go-to guy. He was on a couple of Canned Heat's best-selling albums. One day he shows up at Gold Star Studios, Phil Spector's place, supposed to be some Sonny and Cher sessions. Uh, they don't show up, so he just starts recording his solo album. When he's finished pulling in all the people who are in L.A. from New Orleans that he can find, Amit Erdogan, who's running the record company, is is like horrified. He says, how am I going to sell this boogaloo fill-in-the-blank? But he's convinced to do it nonetheless, and it becomes this cult album that over time people have turned to. So many musicians we've talked to say, Dr. John, Dr. Mm. John. He's He's had a great career since, but it's never been as weird and sinister and middle of the night as this record. And I'm going to play the opening track. It's called Gree Gree Gumbo Yaya by Dr. John on Sound Opinions. They call me Dr. John, known as the Night Tripper. Got my satchel of Gree Gree in my hand. Then you're tripping up. I'm back down to buy you. I'm the last of the best. They call me the greedy man. 
got many clients come from miles around running down my prescription I got medicine to cure all y'all's ills I got remedies of every description I got Got a bad woman you can't control. I got just the thing for you. Something called controlling all some get-together drops. If you work too hard and you need a little rest, try my easy life rub or put some of my boss fix jazz in your breakfast. Try a little bit of head now. That was Gree Gree Gumbo Yaya by Dr. John from his Gree Gree debut album in 1968, my Desert Island jukebox pick for the week. The Sound Opinions Desert Island jukebox is supported by Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark bourbon, it is what it isn't. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Jim, it's that time of year again. We're going to run down our top albums of 2011. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Trombone Shorty was recorded by Mary Gaffney. Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lynn and Jason Saldana with the able assistance of Annie Minoff. And our fearless leader, our executive producer, is Tori Southside Malatia, a man who knows a thing or three about Grigri. I'll tell you that. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. Hey, Greg and Jim. It's Moose calling from Chicago. I have to throw in my turkey of the year so far. From the early 80s, I was a huge fan of the Minneapolis sound and uh, Prince's contribution to uh, my life. And I was a huge fan, therefore, of the time, uh, Morris Day and the Gang. I was really excited to hear that their fifth album that was out under the name The Original Seven, uh, they have an album out called Condensate. Amazing bunch of musicians, but this is one of the worst albums I've ever heard. Hey y'all, I'm bringing heat. Beasting all hot topics every week. Uh, breaking news and I don't even try. And you know it. How'd you get so popular? I'm cool, that's why. Come on, type it. The first one with absolutely no touch of Prince to it. He had nothing to do with this album. And it really shows. This is a definite turkey. Hey, guys. This is Dunstan calling from somewhere between Tennessee and New York as I drive home from uh, Thanksgiving. 
I just listened to the turkey shoot, and I, uh, I agreed with a lot of the uh, turkeys that were shot, but I, I can't get over the treatment that Bon Iver is getting. Uh, I think it's a beautiful album. I think in an age of a lot of narcissism and a lot of boasting, like we heard in Kanye and Jay-Z's album, it's really nice to hear from people like the Fleet Foxes and My Morning Jacket and Bon Iver that are uh, willing to show a little humility. I... I I ask you to listen to Holocene and listen to that refrain where he realizes he's not magnificent and just kind of embrace the cheese a little bit. Jim and Greg, it's Jason from Los Angeles. I just got through listening to your review of the new Drake album, and I wanted to make a recommendation. There is another young television actor with a rap album that came out this month. His name is Donald Glover, and you might know him from NBC's Community, but uh, under his rap name, Childish Gambino, he has released a rap record called Camp, and I think it's one of the best hip-hop albums of the year. Uh, it is full of really refreshingly honest lyrics, of the sort of the, the variety of internal contradictions that I haven't heard since Kanye West's college dropout, uh, where Donald's talking about how he grew up in the ghetto, but his parents worked hard to get him out of there. Uh, but because he's a rapper, he doesn't feel like he has a lot of the street cred. Deal crack. It's weird. You think that they'd be proud of them. But when you leave the hood, they think that you look down on them. The truth is, we still struggle on a different plane. Seven dollars an hour, Wick vouchers. It's all the same. So he talks very honestly about all that stuff. But he also does it in a really funny, clever way. Uh, and just some really sharp, witty thinking. I think you guys will dig it and you should check it out. Jim and Greg, this is Lori Thompson. I listen to your show in Bloomington, Illinois. And I want to thank you for highlighting the adventures and sometimes misadventures of so many music contributors who aren't household names, especially your recent eulogy of the songwriter in that excellent R&B team. The day he died, I was grievously asking everybody, did you hear Nick Ashford died and be met with stone faces? Ashford and Simpson, you know, and then slight glimmers of recognition. Uh, so uh, thank you for aiding and abetting my Nick Ashford commemorative campaign, and, and especially for all the appreciative flourishes uh, that you guys use and employ that, that really please us listeners who love not just the music, but the stories that bring us the music. I've got your picture hanging on the wall, but I can't see, come to me when I call your name. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.